You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. So we went through the top ten, sort of, and uh, we're going to continue on, at least uh, hopefully, if all goes well, through the uh, first portion. Why are you getting all spammy on me now? Anyways, the plan is spend half the show talking about the next 10 prospects. If we skip some, then we skip some. And like all things, this will continue to evolve as I come up with uh, new ways of doing this. Uh, Some better, some worse, whatever. Kind of add some of this, drop some of this. Um, But let's see if I can remember what prospects we went over here. Uh, We skipped Bryce Young, CJ Stroud. We talked about Will Anderson, Anthony Richardson, Jalen Carter, Tyree Wilson, Christian Gonzalez, Devin Witherspoon, Will Levis. Paris Johnson, I think that's it. Maybe Bijan, I don't know. I wasn't smart enough yesterday to make a list, but now I made a list. So I'm going to delete those guys from my list. The other cool thing about this is there will be a... um, Maybe I shouldn't delete it. Maybe I should just make it so that there's a record that we can refer back to on what day I... That's what we'll do. What day I talked about these guys. That means today we will be covering Peter Skaronsky, Jackson Smith and Jigba, Bijan Robinson, because I don't think we really went over it officially, Joey Porter Jr., Lucas Van Ness, Miles Murphy, Quinton Johnston, Nolan Smith, Broderick Jones, Kalijah Cansey. I'm using the um, consensus big board. That's going to continue to change, but it's now set in stone. So as it changes moving forward, it won't you know change anymore. But one addition I do want to add, and this is probably going to add some time, but I'll just have to be concise as I can possibly be. Something from last year that was really, really cool that I learned a lot from and had a lot of really good information was Dane Brugler's 2023, uh, he calls it the Beast Guide. 401 scouting reports, 1,893 player rankings, a lot of really, really good information. So I'm going to start with that and uh, dig out any news and notes for these players, and then just, again, kind of give my final thoughts, Um, which, again, entirely up to you how much you care. I have a lot of people ask my opinion. I will happily tell you my opinion is worth less than a lot of people who do this for a living or do this much more thoroughly or have understanding of concepts or this, that, or the other, but I try to do my best at using the resources I have, PFF, SIS, looking at some of their better games, some of their worst games, some of their strengths and weaknesses, and then just kind of giving my own thoughts. And sometimes it's like, you know what? Everybody says this about the prospect. I don't see it. Here's what I see. And it's probably contrary to what everybody else says, but that's fine. It is what it is. And I'm going to stand on my opinions on these things. also need to try to remember to not scream and yell because I do have the little one down here in the office passed out. So I'm going to take that opportunity to continue recording the podcast. Got to do what you got to do, man. All right, let's get started with Mr. Peter Skaronsky. A couple of the highlights from uh, the the Beast. Youngest of three, multi-sport athlete, four-star recruit out of uh, and Northwestern University alum, top 1% of his high school class. 6'4", 313 pounds, played left tackle. I checked his stats on PFF. That's all he's ever done, so he's never done any kind of guard, center, or even right tackle work. Awards, freshman All-American, first-team All-Big Ten, unanimous All-American, Big Ten Offensive Lineman of the Year, and team captain. Strengths, quick control feet, balance, power punch, excellent movement. Weaknesses, short arms for an offensive tackle. Struggles against long-arm defenders and bull rushes. Penalties in 2022. Potential, immediate NFL starter at guard or center with Pro Bowl ceiling. So he does talk about how um, some teams will essentially take him off their board, quote-unquote, as a tackle, and will only see him as a guard. Others may give him a chance. Peter Skaronsky, highly talented and hardworking offensive lineman, strong NFL lineage, excelling in technique and balance, but faces challenges due to shorter arm length. A little bit about his lineage for uh, those that don't know, and probably a little bit more information stuff that I didn't even know. But it says, um, his father, Bob Jr., was an all-Ivy League defensive tackle at Yale from 1974 to 1977. His grandfather, Bob Sr., who died in 2018 at the age of 84 after battling Alzheimer's, was a left tackle at Indiana and drafted in the fifth round, number 56 overall, that's funny, of the 1956 NFL draft. After serving two years in the Air Force, Bob Skaronsky Sr., 
played at offensive tackle for eight seasons for the Vince Lombardi and Green Bay Packers from 1959 to 1968, winning five NFL championships and the first two Super Bowls. Peter grew up a Green Bay Packers fan because of his, I'm going to jack this up, it's Polish, Ziadzi, means grandpa. Peter had two great uncles who played at Harvard, Gene Skaronski from 62 to 64 and Ted Skaronski from 66 to 68. There's a W in their last names, unlike their brother Bob Sr., because the enrollment officials inadvertently forgot the W. Okay, that's funny. So his last name is supposed to be Skaronski with a W, but his grandpa, they dropped it, and so now Peter doesn't have it. But anyways, continuing, Peter's maternal grandfather, Nate Walton, played running back and safety at St. Ambrose uh, of the NAIA. So, bottom line is he has a lineage of guys that have played a lot of football at a uh, large range of levels. Also worth noting, he is 21.74 years old, so he's a young young buck. Anyways, my quick thoughts on Peter Skaronski. I remember the first time I watched him being really, really excited about him. The funny thing about a lot of these guys is our varied opinions could very easily be either explained or at least somewhat explained by what games we actually watched. You know, we got some people watching highlights, and then you got some people who are watching, you know, those videos of guys talking about why they're elite. Like, check out these clips I pulled, and this is why they're super elite or whatever. And then you have the actual games. Some on Walt Tony some just on YouTube or whatever, but still, you got the games. But anyways, I, I whatever I watched of him, was, at first, I loved it. Then I went to YouTube, because I couldn't find any 2022 Skaronski for anything all 22, and I just didn't like it. I went, it was against um, Penn State. Didn't like it at all. Went to PFF. It was one of his worst games that entire season. Then I went to, I think, Indiana, and it looked fantastic. But here, here, here's the final summary. I didn't really like this at first. Every time they say that this guy's only going to be a guard, I kind of buy it. The thing with Purdue that I think was tough was they had a lot of smaller, quick guys, and he just didn't seem to handle the space super well. People would cut inside and just get past him, and he just it felt like he was bear-hugging guys all day long. He was essentially holding and getting away with it. He would just wrap his arms around guys and try to not let them get past. And I think if you keep him in a more confined space, I think he's an absolute freaking bull. So I think the upside with Skaronsky is similar to Elton Jenkins. He's really good on the inside, He's he's but he has potential on the outside. He could potentially be a starting tackle in the NFL, and I don't hate that. If Zach Tom ends up being a good tackle at right tackle, let's just assume that's who we have there. We could have Elton Jenkins at left tack, uh, left guard and Peter Skaronsky at right guard. That has the potential to be a really, really, really good offensive line. If Zach Tom isn't ready, then we'd have Skaronsky probably at guard and Elton Jenkins at tackle. Still really like that offensive line. At the very least, it's, it's an upgrade. I think there's a couple questions, though. Number one, do you want to take a guard at 15? I think you could certainly make a case for it when you consider... Um, not only the importance of protecting um, the quarterback, but also helping the quarterback by creating a much better run game. The other issue being how easy is it going to be to take a guy that's never played guard, he's only ever played left tackle, and try to convince him to be either a left guard or a, a right guard, for example. How easy is that going to be? I don't know. But that's kind of where I'm at with Skaronsky. I like him. I, if we draft him, I'd be very interested to hear from Gutekunst in terms of uh, whether they view, he, he would probably say that they see him as a tackle because they want to ramp up his his value. But whether that means they're very serious about it or or not, I don't know. But I'm sure the answer would certainly would be something to the effect of, uh, we we certainly are going to put him in and let the offensive uh, line coaches get a hold of him and see where they think he's a, a, the best fit. But we we believe he can play tackle, guard, or anywhere on the offensive line. That'll be sort of the throwaway line, I would guess. But bottom line is, I like him. Not as much as I did, but I think he makes a lot of sense. Uh, again, the, the, the conflict I'm having is I like him more on the inside, which makes him less valuable at 15. And if we make him a tackle, which is worth the value, then I like him less as a prospect. Then we get to Mr. Jackson Smith and Jigba. Jackson Smith and Jigba, Ohio State, six foot 196, uh, 21.2 years old, another young prospect. Couple notes on the guy. Five-star recruit, number five wide receiver in the 2020 class uh, out of Rockwall, Texas. I don't know if I said that already. Set Big Ten season record for receiving yards, 1606 in 2021. Missed most of the 2022 season due to a left hamstring injury. Skilled route runner, strong hands, but lacks finished speed. Projected as an early NFL starter, but in the slot position. Also lettered in basketball and track at Rockwall. 
Sierra Leonean roots added in Jigba to honor his late grandfather. That's cool. So it looks like that's about it. Um, I, I'm, I'm stuck on Jackson Smith and Jigba. And, and I think it really just goes back to what I've talked about before. You either have those eye-popping things that has me, you know, my jaw on the floor or what you're, whatever you're doing is much more nuanced. I like Jackson Smith and Jigba in terms of how fluid and smooth he is. I think he has much more speed. He seems to be have much more f- speed than he's given credit for. I never really saw any issue with that, and I think the, the 40 time more or less backed that up. I mean, he's not blazing, but it's, it's certainly quick, and, and the fact that he can use that speed as he's kind of, you know, not just straight line, that's part of what makes everything seem so smooth. He can kind of cut and keep that speed, which I think is fantastic. I just really struggled. Because again, my, my, my biggest test is really for, for any prospect, what did you do that somebody else couldn't have done? And I just had a hard time with it. And it, you don't knock him for, for doing something that anybody else could do, but I'm just looking for that moment to watch something and go, dang. But most of the time, it's like, okay, that was a toss behind the line of scrimmage and you ran 40 yards. Like, that's cool. There's a blown coverage for a touchdown. Like, okay. And then a lot of it is just, it's, it's running to an open spot in the zone, which he didn't do anything wrong. He certainly looks smooth doing it, but is there any wide receiver that we have on this team or a list of 15 different wide receivers in this draft class that couldn't have done that? How could you not? So, I mean, I'm sure there's, there's a little bit of quickness and, and something in there that, that is marginal in terms of, yeah, but it, they wouldn't have gotten to that spot quite as quick or, or maybe some real nuance in terms of, you know, when he made his cut, but it's like he's, you know, there was one play in particular where he did this really cool thing where he, he was essentially going to run, he's on the right side of the, of the line, and he's running to the middle of the field. So he's going left. Well, he feigns left, then goes outside to get the guy turned around, and then goes back to his left, which is a really, I really liked that. The problem is, the guy's playing zone, he was never covering him anyways. So he could have just ran a normal route and still gotten to that same spot and still would have been wide open. I watched the first game of his against Purdue. He had a real big game, tons of like 136 yards and a touchdown or something crazy, nine receptions, I think. I thought Garrett Wilson was better. And it felt like Ohio State felt like Garrett Wilson was better, despite everyone kind of talking about Jackson Smith being the better receiver, because he ran a lot of um, sort of false routes, fake routes to kind of get Garrett Wilson open a lot. So I don't know. I, I, just, I just really struggle, because when you look at his attributes, I think it's very easy to see why he can be very, very good, especially you get him some more time with NFL-type guys and, and really unleash some of that talent. But if and, and, and honestly, a lot of what he was doing reminded me of like what the Packers do in terms of just kind of using scheme to get guys open. But again, we wouldn't need Njigba to do that. We could do that with a lot of guys. And you think about like that Christian Watson play where he went to the house. Watson didn't do anything special. He turned around the corner and the ball was just sitting there because it was great timing by the quarterback to read the defense and recognize that that was the vacated spot in the in the zone and that as soon as he came around the corner just hit him and he did and then he took it to the house i'm not going to sit here and try to pretend that uh, that christian watson is some premier route runner because he ran around a guy that was just standing there so i mean i I just i was just looking for that thing you know i mean uh as i'm watching him my jaw's hitting the floor watching garrett wilson as he's catching these ridiculous passes and getting one foot down in the end zone for a touchdown against Purdue. Like, dang, that, that's one of those dang plays. Just that tenacity and the ridiculous ability to contort your body and catch the ball and, and, and the wherewithal to get a foot down inside. and all, like That's the kind of thing where it's like, not anybody can just do that. And again, I think Njigba has that not anybody can do that ability. I just, I've, I've not seen it. I watched three games. I love the smoothness, but it seemed like it was just a lot of behind the line of scrimmage stuff. A lot of scheme where they're scheming him open. And then a couple times they just let him go down the field and he just ran past guys, which is great. But that's not like a thing, you know? I'm not drafting Jackson Smith and Jigba to run down the seam and, and outrun guys. We got other guys that we can draft if we want to outrun guys down the field. So I'm sure if I go put on a highlight reel or something, there's a lot of plays that, that are kind of jaw-dropping. I'm just, I'm just giving you my honest opinion. I like Jackson Smith and Jigba. I'll be fine with that pick, but I just... I'm certainly not over the moon about it, and I, I certainly would not want to trade up for him. Anyways, next on the list is Bijan Robinson. I've made my uh, I've made my my position on him known quite well. But anyways, let's get a couple notes in on Bijan Robinson. Uh, let's see. Hold on. There we go. Five foot 
215 pounds from Tucson, Arizona, also 21 years old. Record holder in Arizona high school football with 7,036 rushing yards and 114 touchdowns. Five-star recruit, number one running back in the 2020 class. Unanimous All-American at Doak Walker Award recipient. Skipped the final season of eligibility to enter the 2023 NFL Draft. Let's see. Career stats, 539 carries, 3,410 yards, 6.3 average in his career with 33 touchdowns, 60 receptions for 805 yards, 13.4 average, 8 touchdowns. Some of the strengths, weaknesses, strengths, elusive, strong vision, powerful, uh, responsible for 45 plays of 20-plus yards, above-average pass blocker, and vocal leader. That's not a bad thing. Weaknesses, runs tall, inconsistent in pass protection, has fumbled six times, durability concerns with pass-to-elbow injury. NFL potential, complete package as a runner and receiver, vision and instinct, field talent, blah, blah, blah. Uh, awards, don't care. College performance, eh, don't care. Summary, Bijan is a talented running back with a strong combination of looseness, vision, power, excelling in both rushing and receiving. He has room for improvement in pass protection and has some durability concerns. We already read that. So here's, first of all, um, probably the most important thing here. Um, Double-digit NAL deals over his final two years at Texas, including Lamborghini Austin and his own condiment called Bijan Mustardson. I need some of that Bijan Mustardson. Dude, I want to cook with some Bijan Mustardson. I want to go out and barbecue and slather it up with some Bijan Mustardson and then, you know, rub it down. Anyways, again, my thoughts. I, I don't think it's a great fit. Running backs generally don't return a massive amount of value. We already have some really good running backs. I understand that he's a, a great player. I just, it's going to be really frustrating when we run the ball 25 times, Aaron Jones gets. 12 carries, you know, A.J. Dillon gets eight carries, and Bijan is is getting five. You know, I, I hope the math adds up there. And yeah, I know he could be a receiver, but if we want a receiver, let's get a receiver. I, I really like Bijan. I don't think we should draft Bijan. But as far as those guys that make my jaw drop, he's that dude. Phenomenal receiver, really sneaky power, just killing guys out there. You know I like him, but I can't get on board with necessarily draft him. I'll, I'll do a backflip if we do, because I, I just really like him. And the fact that he has his own mustard brand is hilarious and awesome at the same time. But I, I, just, I just I can't get there, rationally. After that is Mr. Joey Porter. Joey Porter, uh, Penn State, six two, 193 pounds, out of Bakersfield, California. 22.75 years old, so creeping up on 23 years old. So no tear says Joey Porter Jr. is a talented corner from Penn State with NFL bloodlines and experience in man-heavy scheme. His dad being a uh, a 13-season veteran, Joey Sr., uh, played for three teams, uh, later served as an assistant coach for the Steelers, currently serves as linebackers coach for the San San Antonio Brahmas in the XFL. His former Pittsburgh Steelers teammate, Heinz Ward, is the head coach there. So anyways, that's his son, Joey Porter Jr. Uh, Long, lanky frame with impressive arm length, perfect for press man duties. Porter is an athletic strider with improved eye discipline in zone coverage and a physical nature. He has dedicated time off the field to uh, strengthen his body, achieving 17 bench press reps at the Combine. However, he has a history of being a flag magnet on film due to his grabby, undisciplined play style. Porter may struggle with unbalanced change of direction and emotional control during games. He's best suited for a bump-and-run cornerback position and may not fit all schemes. Um, we don't really need to read the summary because it just summarizes what we just said. Look, the, the bottom line for me is I, I'm not a big Joey Porter fan. Um, I just didn't get it when I watched him. Again, it might just be watching the wrong games. I don't really know. I didn't think the coverage was there. I, I, I get that he's a big physical dude. I mean, not even necessarily size-wise, I guess, but he, he does look very strong. Seems, uh, honestly, and I think I've said this before, he really does seem like a good dude. Same with Jackson Smith and Jig, but there's certain guys, they get on camera and they've got that kind of like, I don't want to look you in the eye, like I'm too cool for this or whatever. Like, you know, there's some kind of an attitude thing that you just look at and you're like, eh, whatever, I guess, it's, it's not my favorite. And then there's other guys that just seem like genuinely good dudes. Joey Porter seems like a good dude, but I watched him and I didn't, I didn't like it at all. So... Um, am I all the way out on Joey Porter? Yes. Would this be a heartbreaking pick for me? I think it would because I'm, I'm not big on corner. If you're going to do it, give me Witherspoon. If you get Gonzalez, I'll get over it because I can at least see the skill set there, even though he's not my favorite. And again, not big on drafting a corner. If you get Joey Porter, I'm just going to, 
I mean, it would make sense because every year the Packers draft someone and it's like, what are you doing? What are you doing? Quay Walker, what are you doing? Stokes, the second round guy? Again? Wait, you drafted a quarterback? You drafted a quarterback. Are you out of your freaking mind? Jair? Rashawn? Savage? (laughs) I don't think they've ever, aside from Devontae Wyatt, that was my one guy that they drafted in the first round that I was super pumped about. Every other first round draft I've been disappointed to crushed every single time. And so Joey Porter would actually make a good amount of sense. Then we get to Mr. Lucas Van Ness, another very, very uh, popular pick for the Green Bay Packers. Uh, six foot five, 272, out of Barrington, Illinois, right down the street from where I grew up. 21.8 years old, three-star recruit, strong side defensive end at uh, number 21 recruit out of Illinois. 2019 Conference Defensive Player of the Year, earned first-team All-State, All-Area Honors. Played hockey in high school, led Barrington to the first Final Four appearance in the state championship. Committed to Iowa in 2019, number 17th ranked recruit in Iowa's 2020 class. Freshman All-American 2021, second-team All-Big Ten uh, 2022. Led the team in tackles for a loss and sacks. Gained 35 pounds of muscle in college. Experienced at both defensive tackle and edge rusher positions. Ascending player with the upside of an impactful NFL starter. Inside, outside versatility, competitive toughness. Overall, Van Ness needs uh, coached up with his pass rush construction and overall pacing, but he's an ascending player and competes like a grizzly bear with his fierce power and explosive twitch. He has upside of an impactful NFL starter with inside-outside versatility regardless of scheme. So, again, I hate to sound all nitpicky and whatnot, but but these are kind of my issues with him. Um, it's obvious to see that power, right? His ability to kind of get inside and just stand a guy up. The problem is I, I just rarely see him actually make plays. Um, it's just... You know, you, you can you can beat the guy in front of you without actually doing anything. I don't know how many times I see him actually stand the guy up and think, dang, man, he's got complete control. And then the running back will run right next to him, and he doesn't even get his arm out to make a play. So what's the point? There was a play against, I forget which team it was, but um, he had a free run at the quarterback. And not only did he not get to the quarterback, but the quarterback broke the pocket, easily got away from Van Ness, and threw a touchdown pass. It's like, at some point, dude, I got to see you make a play here. And, you know, occasionally he does. He'll, he'll be able to do something. But I, I, I generally agree with the idea that, you know, I, you can see sort of the upside, but he needs some refinement to actually turn all that power and everything else into, you know, something. It has to produce. And that's kind of what happened with Rashawn. But, I, you know, I'm not sitting here trying to project out whether or not the guy's going to turn into Rashawn. And the fact that he's a three-star recruit as opposed to Rashawn, who was like the number one guy in the nation, means I don't know that he necessarily has... Uh, in fact, I know he doesn't have Rashawn tools. That doesn't mean he can't become a good player. But the, the other thing I don't like is that whole inside-outside thing. I just don't like that. I, mean, I don't think he would be in the NFL, but I just... I, I, it's the same thing with Tyree Wilson. You got to pick a lane, man. That whole tweener thing just doesn't seem to ever really work out. Just makes me think of Dayton Jones, and I just don't want to go down that, uh, down that road again. Down the road again. That was a really good draft class. I mean, Daytona was bad, but Eddie Lacy, David Bakhtiari, J.C. Treader, Jonathan Franklin, Micah Hyde, Josh Boyd, Nate Palmer, Charles Johnson, Kevin Dorsey, and Sam Barrington. It was solid, man. And then before that, Nick Perry, Jarrell Worthy, Casey Hayward, Mike Daniels, uh, Dron McMillan, Terrell, Terrell Manning. You know, it, 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 it went downhill pretty fast, but Perry, Worthy, Hayward, and Daniels, dang. But yeah, I'm not, uh, I'm not overly excited about... Um, Lucas Van Ness, especially considering it's sort of a maybe he'll be good sometime in the future kind of a thing. Eh. This is going to be a full full show, isn't it? Uh, Miles Murphy, double time now. 6'4", 268, pass rusher for Clemson. 21 years old, 21.3 years old out of Marietta, Georgia. Lacks sufficient move-to-move transitions as a pass rusher, but he is naturally gifted with the explosive traits play speed, and length to be a disruptive leverage power rusher in the NFL. He projects as a base end in a four-man front with the floor of an NFL starter. So that's a relatively high floor, but is also not a great scheme fit for what we're looking for. Although neither was Rashawn. That was step one, was teach him how to stand up and rush. So my thoughts generally on Miles Murphy, he's sort of the anti-Lucas Van Ness. Lucas Van Ness is a freaking rock. He's bigger than you, stronger than you and he's going to push you around, he just doesn't really get the job done. Miles Murphy doesn't like contact. He wants to run around you. He wants to do spin moves. He wants to, you know, put him inside, let him run a stunt around the outside and just navigate traffic. 
So he's a little bit more of a doer, but he doesn't have that sort of physicality and that dog in him. Also, I watched him against Notre Dame. I saw that was his second worst game, so then I switched it over to Boston College, which was kind of in the middle. I did not watch the Florida State one that I had access to. That was his second best game. But, you know, the other issue that I have with Miles Murphy is that he just he doesn't even grade out super well. Um, he does have a 79 grade. He's got kind of 70s across the board. But um, if you look at his actual pass rush grades, a, a 70 or above, there's two games, Florida State and against Wake. And then after that, it's a 69.1. So there's just nothing super great here. He had six sacks over four games. So only four games did he have a sack. Um, I don't know. I'm just struggling finding these guys that I'm going to be blown away with. You know, Miles Murphy at one point was like a top five, top 10 prospect. Now he's dropped all the way down to, you know, the mid-teens or even 20s possibly. And I can see why, because there's just not a whole lot here. Moving on to Quinton Johnston, six foot. 2208 out of Temple, Texas, also 21 years old. Military family guy, which is always uh, a plus. Overall, Johnson requires polish with his route running and ball finishing skills, but he offers legitimate big play potential with his size, speed, athleticism, and catch radius. He has NFL starting traits with upside as he continues to develop. He has him listed as first, second round prospect number 34 overall. So, um, again, a lot of different opinions on where guys fall. And in this case, uh, Quentin Johnson is a second-round prospect, according to The Beast. Uh, another guy, PFF, not really a big fan of. Only been graded in the 70s for three years at TCU, 71, 76, 72. And his PFF grades on a week-to-week basis are actually even worse because that 76 grade involves a 90, and 87, and then a 73, and that's it. His grades for the season, 54, 61, 55, 61, 90 against Kansas, 87 against Oklahoma State, then 60, 68, 59, 65, 58, 66, 73 against Michigan, and then a 53, his worst of the season against Georgia. So he's, he's bad to average every single week with the exception of a couple. The stats are great. I mean, you know, again, he had his two elite games, and then he had uh, 137 yards against Kansas State, even though he didn't grade out super well. And he had 163 yards and a touchdown, but they only gave him a 73 grade. So, I mean, I, I just, it's, it's so hard to absolutely fall in love with any of these prospects. And as I've said with Johnston, I'm, I'm not obsessed with him. I think he's, I think he's fine. Um, he's one of the few guys that actually looks like an ex-receiver. He has that sort of demeanor, that attitude. But, you know, he's just another guy that's, that's in my opinion, good, not great. Do I want him at 15? No, I really don't. Then we get on to Mr. Nolan Smith, another popular pick for the Packers out of Savannah, Georgia, six foot two, two hundred and thirty-eight pounds, another small guy. Everybody in this class is small. I don't understand it. Twenty-two point two years old, five-star recruit. Smith uh, overall, Smith must improve his pass rush plan and overall efficiency, but he is an explosive, flexible athlete with powerful hands and an above-average football character. That's great, especially coming out of Georgia. He has the diverse tools to be a well-rounded edge rusher, ideally suited for a three-four base scheme. Um, first round number 11 overall he has him at. He really likes the edge rushers. I think Lucas Van Ness was 10, so he's got four in the top 11. But uh, PFF does like Nolan Smith quite a bit more, although he has not really played a massive amount. But his first two years at Georgia, 69-68, and then 85-84 were his grades. Surprisingly, more so a, pa- a run defender than a pass rusher. Tackling has always been solid, but 90 and 82 for run defense and then pass rush 79 and 75. Um, I don't know if this is a rotation thing or an injury thing or what, but the, the numbers are not uh, super massive for him. Smith is, is very different than the other two pass rushers we talked about. Um, he is the, the smaller guy. He's much more like Miles Murphy, but smaller. Like if you were to continue down that spectrum, more enjoyable to watch, you know, quicker, slipperier but also even less power, gets stuck a lot more. You know, if that that quick little move didn't work, he's not doing anything. So I feel like he has the lowest floor, maybe even the lowest ceiling, but when you look at, uh, what's that, that uh, Micah Parsons and stuff like that, it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to say he couldn't potentially have a high ceiling, but am I into it? Not necessarily. I mean, I, I, he's one of those guys that, that I, I always used to like, sort of the smaller, speedier, bend around the corner type of guys, but um, first of all, I didn't really even see him do that that much, so I, I, I couldn't say that he's a, a big bendy guy. Maybe he is, 
But um, yeah, it would ju- it would just worry me. And he he doesn't really seem to be all that great of a fit. I know everyone's jumping up and down about well, he's got four three nine speed. He's athletic, so the Packers are going to love him. But would the Packers love him? I mean, I I guess I don't really know what is a Joe Barry pass rusher, or is it a Brian Gutekunst thing? If it's a Brian Gutekunst thing, I don't think Nolan Smith fits at all. Certainly was never a, a Mike Pettin thing. Uh, I think of the group, Lucas Van Ness probably makes the most sense, but he's a bit of a project. Nolan Smith, I, I just, I understand the scheme fit technically, but I just, I don't see a lot of guys like Lo- Nolan Smith getting drafted by the Packers at 238 pounds. I just, I don't know. I mean, good players are good players, and if they think that he can do something great, then cool, but I don't know. Then we get to Broderick Jones, six foot five, three 311 pounds, out of Lithonia, Georgia, 21.95 years old. Um, final thoughts on him. Uh, according to the beast overall jones lacks ideal refinement and experience fewest number of college snaps among fbf offensive tackles in this class but with his movement skills raw power and finishing violence the necessary tools are there for him to be a decade-long starter in the nfl he should be one of the first linemen drafted and his nfl projection range from solid starter to pro bowler um he has him as a first rounder number 15 overall on his board uh pff actually has him getting uh, well, I shouldn't say worse. He didn't play very much in his rookie year, just 25 snaps. Uh, but then the next two years, in 2021, he played about a half a season worth of snaps, 78 grade. And then last year, he had uh, 78 grade. There was a lot of improvement as far as pass blocking. He went from 71 to 84. So I guess that's good. The run blocking actually wasn't that good, despite um, how much there's talk about his just raw power and whatnot. But the pass blocking was on point. He allowed zero sacks um, this past year, two hits and seven hurries, nine total pressures, 99 pass blocking efficiency rating, played entirely at left tackle. Uh, He did play right tackle in 2020, 25 snaps, and then nine snaps in 2021. Everything else was left tackle. But anyways, I, I do have some good news for you. I don't dislike Broderick Jones. I would say he's a solid 7.5. No, I like him. I, I, I like that he's just a big, physical mauler. And, and also, he, he doesn't seem lumbering. A lot of times you see these really big guys, and they don't really move very well in space. I don't see that as being a real big problem for him. Uh, he does, again, struggle a little bit in run blocking, which is a bit surprising, but not the worst thing in the world. You're going to draft the tackle. Your primary um, job is going to be protecting the quarterback. Secondary is run blocking. And, you know, we'll see what we can do with a guy of that size and magnitude uh, being coached up to run block a little bit better. But that leaves us with Mr. Kalijah Kansi. Six foot one, 281 pounds out of uh, Miami, Florida. 22.1 years old. Uh, the Beast says Kansi's undersized frame and average strength will be more pronounced versus NFL blockers, especially in the run game. But his get-off agility and quick hands allow him to leverage gaps and disrupt the backfield. Although not quite on Donald's level as a pro prospect, the parallels are encouraging, and he projects as an NFL, uh, a starting NFL three-tech. Grade, first, second round, he has him at number 26 overall. And uh, as far as PFF, PFF absolutely loves the guy. Um... 80 grade as a rookie, goes up to an 84, and then a 91.8 this year. He had 47 pressures on just 275 pass rush snaps, 8 sacks, 9 hits, 30 hurries. Um, As far as his week-to-week grades, uh, he's pretty much the opposite of everybody else. Some of these guys, it's like, yeah, it's it's highlighted by the fact that he's got like these two elite grades. No, he's got a 62 against Louisville. He's got a 62 against West Virginia, and then it goes 76, 78, 80, 81, 82, 88, 88, 89, 90, uh, well, 90.3, I guess. So his lowest grade was a 62 against Louisville. As for my own thoughts, I'm kind of torn on Kalijah Kansi. First of all, right out of the gate, I was pretty torn because I don't really like the smaller defensive tackle types. Every single time somebody's the next Aaron Donald, I have predicted their demise, and I've been right pretty much like 17 times out of 17, or however many times. These guys don't pan out. They lose their ability to be these elite pass rushers, and then they just become undersized guys that can't stop the run and get pushed around a lot. But PFF likes them. And then I watched them, and it's like, yep, this is pretty much what I thought. You know, once every 10 snaps or so, he does this cool pass rush move and something or another, and he does something cool. But then other, every other time, he's just getting pushed around. But as the game went on, and I'm watching him against Tennessee, around halftime-ish, 
I really started to appreciate him. And it's one of those things where, you know, in scouting, when those people will say, tell me what he can do, don't tell me what he can't do kind of thing. He has some pretty amazing ability, and not just pass rush, although I do think he has quite a big arsenal and he does some pretty cool stuff. I mean, like speed to power from the interior. This, you know, that the, I don't know what the moves are called, but you get up inside of his chest and then you rip him downward and kind of propel yourself forward as the offensive lineman goes tumbling forward to the ground. He does that a ton. He loves that move. Of course, he's very good with all the um, the stunts and twists because he's got a little bit more speed. But there have been several plays where his bull rush is freaking lethal. And I've also seen this guy stand up double teams. When he really wants to, a lot of times when he gets stuck, he's trying to do a pass, and he's trying to get cute with the pass rush. Like, I'm trying to run around this guy, and he grabs me, and now I don't have my hands engaged. I'm not actually doing anything, trying to keep his hands off me. I'm just running wild, thinking I can be faster than everybody, and I get stuck. But when he locks horns with a guy who's significantly bigger than he is, probably by, you know, 30, 40 pounds, he can take him out. And so that kind of gets me thinking, what happens when he gets trained up a little bit? What is his ceiling? But then I get back to, he's 6'1", 280. We've been down this road. It ain't going to do anything. And for a more or less rotational pass rusher type who offers you very little in the run game, again, I know he seems to have that ability, but I doubt that's going to be... I mean, he, he would have to be like Aaron Donald to be like, no, no, he can do it. And maybe he can. I don't know. I just find it kind of hard to believe. And, and, and again, at best, I think he's a, a bit of a project. Maybe early on he offers some pass rush upside in your rotation, especially if you're thin at defensive tackle, as we kind of are, getting a guy that can come in and just you know get after him on third and nine. But you're not doing that at 15. So in my mind, this is the kind of guy that you see around like pick 46. There's, there's usually like one of these guys who's those smaller, just pass rush types. But that's this whole class. I mean, every single one of these guys, I feel like, like Lucas Van Ness, these are the guys that I remember when you're trying to find edge rushers for the Packers and we're picking at 28. Like Lucas Van Ness would be that guy. It's not 15, though. You know, Kalijah Kansi, yeah, mid-second round guy. I don't, I don't hate him. And I see the potential and I understand the excitement. But I don't know if I can fully sign off on it. So I'm not all the way out on Kalijah Kansi, but I don't think it makes a lot of sense, especially for a defense that, don't get me wrong, you could always use more pass rush, but we absolutely need to get better against the run. And I see Kalijah Kansi as a maybe early producer as a pass rusher and, you know, 6% chance he becomes a quality, high quality run defender down the line as he matures as a overall defensive tackle or whatever. I, so, I mean, he's okay, but I, I also just don't think the Packers would do it. It just doesn't seem to be their style. It doesn't seem to fit. So I just don't generally see it. But anyways, um, that would be the next 10. We'll take a break, get you a t-shirt. We'll be right back. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda, you never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. 
Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, lots to get to, not a ton of time. Uh, why don't we, I guess, start with this. This has been uh, going around a little bit. Uh, David Bakhtiari did an interview. I watched the first 10 minutes, and they were just talking about dudes staring at each other in the shower, which wasn't super interesting, so I just decided to stop listening to it and waited for people to post clips, and sure enough, we found some clips. So um, here is David Bakhtiari's take on um, what could potentially happen if the deal falls through, I guess. The Packers are rebuilding, whether you think so or not. They don't like. They, could they be good? I don't know. Could they be bad? Probably if you're betting. More- First of all, that's one of the things that has caused a stir is the fact that he said they instead of we. And the general consensus is, oh, you're being kind of stupid about this, but it is weird. I don't expect them to go anywhere, but it is weird. Why would you say they? You're, you're talking about because some people are like, well, he's talking about stuff that's out of their control, like they as in Brian Gutekunst. No, no, no. He's talking about the quality of the football team. Are they going to be bad? You mean, are we going to be bad? It's you, dude. It is very odd. What do you mean, are they going to be bad? It's just a weird thing to say. I don't, I don't understand. More people are going to think they're going to be bad than good. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. Isn't that fair to say? So then they'll be like, well, we're going to suck anyways. We want what we want, and we're not going to bend anyone, so we'll just eat it. Fair. Sell and retire. We'll pay you. We don't care because we're going to, if we're going to do it our way, it's going to be on our terms. If not, we're, what are we, like, we're, we're going to be Super Bowl contenders anyway, so we'll eat it. You can hang on the side, pay your money, and then we'll suck anyways, get the picks. As compared to dealing him but for you, something that you shouldn't have, you could potentially look like an idiot to not And yes, I heard him say we, but he also prefaced that by saying they are going to say, and then said we, so only president in the board but everyone else around the league thinking of the gm's perspective put yourself on the hot seat and then potentially have your job come call to question so i i look at all these like ways you can you can deal it i don't think you'd get that contentious i do think they'll probably come to an agreement he'll get traded they'll get what they want and then i will probably say whether it was who won who won what but i'm saying there i do think that it could be a third option if things got so you're bad. right you're right i've changed my mind no we now. want this and that's it because we know we're gonna so First of all, this doesn't mean anything. This is just another dude with his own opinion. And and his opinion, like a lot of people's opinion, is the Packers could just eat the money and say, whatever, I don't care. I'm going to get what I want or I'm not. Um, I don't think that that's what's going to happen, nor does does he or anybody else. But um, I do love that everybody that comes out for the Jets helps with the narrative that helps the Packers, right? Aaron Rodgers came out, it helped the Packers. The Jets come out, they help the Packers, right? We're desperate, he's definitely coming, all that stuff. What does David Bakhtiari do? He goes on the show and says, Packers don't care. If it falls through, big deal. They'll just sit there and eat the money. They don't care. Helps the Packers, right? It's funny because there there really is no narrative out there that is like massively, and not, not that narrative is really the biggest piece. I'm, I'm just pointing this out. Narrative is all on the side of the Packers. Jets fans, it's all on the side of the Packers. Some of them won't admit it, and they're like, oh, we don't care, we'll just go get Lamar. Like, no, you won't. No, you won't. No, Jets fans are losing their minds about the excitement of getting Aaron Rodgers, as evidenced by the fact that, again, you've got a, a New York Jets writer saying, you know, anything we write, the, the, the need for Aaron Rodgers' material is insatiable in New York. That's all they want to talk about. That's all they want to hear about. That's all they want to read about, right? You, you get uh, Boomer talking to the GM like, I got to ask you, is Rodgers coming? Yeah, he's coming. Ah, everybody's screaming. So the Jets organization, everything they're saying is Packers' favor. Jets fans, Packers' favor. Packers organization, Packers' favor. We don't care. We're willing to wait. Not a big deal. Aaron Rodgers, Packers' favor. David Bakhtiari, Packers' favor. Jets players, come on over, man. You could go, oh, yeah, we want you. Oh, yeah, it's good. Packers favor. And even Packers fans. What are Packer fans saying? We want a first. We want two first. We blah, 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 blah. You can say, well, that's Jets. No, it's not. We're greedy. <laughs> We're not desperate. It's not like, dude, I'll, I mean, I'm, I'm desperate. Not so much desperate as, as I don't care, but slightly desperate. But the, the going narrative right now is how much can we get? Not, oh, no, this contract is a freaking freight train. We need to get out of the way. 
which tends to be more of my stance. But that you talk to Jets fans and they're like, oh, Packer fans are so stupid. They think they're getting it first. They think that seems to fly in the face of the the abject paranoia and the fact that, uh, you know, we're, we're, we're desperate to just get rid of the guy. Doesn't seem to be the case. Narrative. What is the broader narrative? Anyways, I wanted to play this next here. Um, so this is from Adam Schefter on ESPN NFL Live. Uh, they played a clip of uh, Mark Murphy. I'm not going to play it because it's not super interesting, but they're going on their tour, uh, going all around. We actually went to that once. It's pretty cool. But um, anyways, the, one of the reporters caught Mark Murphy coming off the bus or whatever and essentially asked him what's going on, and he just said, I can't really talk about it. That's something Brian Gutekunst is working on. That's kind of his deal. I don't know. Leave me alone. I'm trying to talk to kids and stuff. But anyways, here's what Schefter had to say. Right there, not a whole lot there. And my understanding is there hasn't been a whole lot of conversation, if any, over the last couple of weeks, going back to the owners' meetings. And so both sides now appear to be dug in, and we'll see whether or not anything changes as we head up to the draft. Sorry about the music, it's just one of those things. What's interesting is if the two sides, amazingly enough, can't figure out a deal by the time the draft comes, then the Jets go ahead and make their picks at 13, 42, and 43, I think are the numbers. And Aaron Rodgers then has a decision to make about whether or not to show up for the mandatory minicamp in May. Do the Packers want him there when he's scheduled to count about $60 million? Do you want to risk him showing up and getting hurt? Or do the two sides want to come together and get something done before the draft so Green Bay can go ahead and use the picks now for a player that doesn't figure to be a part of their future. Again, it seems like both sides are dug in and are willing to be patient until something gets done because nothing is any closer at this point in time. So I'm not going to lie. This is sort of the first time I'm starting to sweat a little bit. Um, and and it, not that there's a ton of new information, but it it just... I'm just, it's, it's, it's like I can actually visualize it, you know? It kind of reminds me of a couple years ago when Schefter was the guy that broke the news that something's going on, and it was on draft day. And it was like, are you freaking kidding me? Like, all of a sudden, we're sitting here trying to enjoy the draft, and it's just about to start, and you're basically ruining my day. And we're sitting here thinking, is something about to happen? And, and then nothing ended up happening, and Gutekunst kind of just dug in his heels. He's like, no, we're not trading you. That ain't going to happen. Um, we're just we're not doing what you want. I apologize. And I, I guess it's just the fact that although, again, nothing's really changed, and this isn't really new information, aside from the fact that they're not talking, which we'll get into a couple different theories on that, but I, I'm just able to now visualize, like, I mean, the draft's coming. It's it's very soon. So to say that it's not going to go to the draft or anything beyond, like, then we got to do something pretty quick here. As much as, like, I keep forgetting that. Stuff sneaks up on me. Like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, yeah, we got to do something for Thanksgiving. Like, oh, okay, yeah, whatever. And in my mind, that's like three weeks away. It's like, no, it's it's this Thursday in like four days. Like, holy crap, are you serious? Man, that's wild. Okay, then. I guess we got to make plans or whatever. I don't know. That's what's happening with the draft. Like, it's coming up, and I just, I, I, in my mind, it's like a month and a half away. It's like, no, not, not that at all. So then I'm thinking, okay, it, it's becoming to the point where, is it more or less likely that on, you know, at, at the start of draft day, this deal is done or it's not done? I'm kind of leaning toward it's not going to be done. Just because it's been so long already, and, and maybe I'm wrong and it'll be done in the next week or two or whatever, but I'm envisioning it's draft day and we're sitting here going, is it going to happen? Like, is there about to be a big trade and then, you know, it'll, it'll be all the way up to the 13th pick because one of the theories is that the Jets want to see who's available. And if nobody that they super like, then they'd be willing to give it to the Packers. And then they, I mean, they got to have something ready to rock and roll. We can't be like, all right, let's start to figure out how to do this whole 13. Like, so I'll give you 13 and you give me this and blah, blah, blah. we got to have that locked and loaded because somebody's got to make a pick pretty soon. And the Packers would have to be ready to basically figure out what they want to do with their pick also. But also, there's a question of you know, maybe what if the Packers want to trade up? You know, we can't do that if you wait until 13. So I don't know. But it'll be all the way up to 13 where we're starting to sit there and wonder. And then you'll see the pick is in and we'll just kind of slouch in our chairs and go, I guess we'll see what happens tomorrow. I mean, it could technically be today, breaking news, the, you know, because now that 13's gone, we, we, we have to pull the trigger on round two. So that, that could be something that could happen still sometime today uh you know maybe it's during the draft and once the picks are done we get it done or whatever or after the draft it gets announced or maybe tomorrow 
But then again, it's like, what happens if those picks come and go? Like, pick 42 or whatever is going to come up and be like, are you freaking kidding me right now? Like, are, are we really doing this? And then they come and go, and then it's like, all right, we got to try to enjoy pick 45 while also trying to process the fact that, like, where are we at right now? Like you said, I mean, is, is he going to be showing up to camp, or are we going to get this done after the fact? Now that, now that we have some clarity that we're not going to get done now and it's going to be next year, like, what are we doing, boys? And as far as the, you know, all quiet on the Western Front, which for some reason keeps popping up, I don't know. I have to put it on a t-shirt. Um, but it, it's, a couple things are possible. Number one is they've, they've kind of agreed to some framework, and they realize that the Jets want to, we let, like, let's wait until we get to the draft and kind of see how things are falling. In which case, there's really not that much to talk about. That could be why there's no talking. But it honestly feels to me a little bit more like the two organizations are, as he said, dug in. And the Packers, like I said, a couple days ago or whatever, Brian Gutekunst saying it's up to them doesn't necessarily mean it's up to them. It's entirely possible if you ask the Jets, they're saying, no, it's up to them. In other words, I've given you my terms. And the Jets are like, yeah, great, I've given you my terms. Okay, well, don't call me until you're ready to be serious. Well, you don't call me until you're ready to be serious. You know what I mean? Like, is that where we're at? Like, they're reading from the same playbook, and now we're just at a stalemate? Who, pick us up, who picks up the phone first? And, then it, and, and, and that's the problem. If that's the case, then it comes down to, I mean, the Jets are willing to wait. Right? They're willing to wait until after the draft. Are the Packers? Well, when you factor in how stubborn Gutekunst seems to be in terms of his negotiating style, I don't see him being the first one to pick up the phone, which means nothing's going to happen before or during the draft. And then this part came up after the fact. It's not really relevant, but just listening to somebody rub it in the Jets' face, it just just something about it makes me happy. I don't know. It's I'm, I'm petty that way, so I'm going to play it. I get, I, I, Shefty, I love it. But I'm, if I'm Green Bay, I'm like, man, I didn't send y'all what I want from y'all. Now, go and do something. I'm just waiting. <laughs> it's just like when you're in the negotiation and you know exactly what you want. You done told the other side what you want. And you know the other side wants something that you have very badly. The New York Jets, again, for the thousandth time, showed their hand when they hired Nathaniel Hackett. And then got Alan Lazard. Aaron came on Pat McAfee and said he desired to play for the New York Jets. The New York Jets negotiating power flew out of the window a long time ago. Now, you got Green Bay in a bad situation if Aaron has to come play there. But why would they be in a hurry to do anything when the, when the things that they want and desire are on the desk of General Manager Joe Douglas and the New York Jets desk? Just sit back and wait. The Jets will get desperate. They want Aaron Rodgers that bad. Yeah, so there you go. And 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 I think it's I think it's funny because you know, a lot of people are like, oh no, no, they both have leverage or whatever, which again, the, the question isn't do they both have leverage? The question isn't are the Packers in a bad spot? The question is who's in a worse spot if this thing doesn't get done? And and the answer is the Packers. However, it's also true that both sides know that both sides have to get this done. Now, technically, the Packers don't have to get this done. They, there are additional options that could still get done that that um, get them what they need, but it's not a very easy process, and it's not a guaranteed process. That would be finding another trade partner that Aaron Rodgers would be okay with after tanking this, which he may just out of spite say, no, you know, you, you, I wanted to be with Hackett and Lazard and all that, and you're ruining this for me. I'm not going to let you do that. It's possible. And also, same with the retirement. There's no guarantee that he would do that. Um, so in a sense, both sides are like, look, leverage or no leverage, you have to do this. And I know you have to do this. So I'm not going to do anything until, you know, you back down. So it's like, how, how do you reconcile that? Cause they're both kind of right. Like the Packers can't let it get to the point where, um, they have to pay a bunch of money and the Jets can't not have Aaron Rodgers, and they can't mess this up um so i don't know i don't know i i again the leverage conversation is mostly just kind of funny to me it's a fun little battle between us and the jets and i just like winning and it's funny so but at the, at the end of the day all kind of joking and kidding aside you got to kind of turn back to the packers and be like look guys <laughs> i, I want to win and all and that's cool but i kind of see this this little uh you know let's call it a measuring contest that you two got going on, and I am very impressed with both of you. Don't get me wrong, but we gotta we gotta work this out, man. We gotta do something. Like, are we close, or 
Is there any kind of compromise we can do? Is there something I can do? Can we pull up like a GoFundMe and, and put some money together to, to kind of bridge that gap? You know, Packers fans and Jets fans can get together, pool our money, give it to the Jets or something, or the Packers or whoever it is that's eating money that's not happy with it. Something, you know, anything, please. Because that's the other funny thing with, like, Packers and Jets fans arguing about, like, who has the... Dude, we're both, let's be honest, we're both desperate for this, okay? Packers fans seem to be a little bit more desperate about the picks, but, dude, we we can't get stuck with this. It's going to be bad. And Jets fans, don't even act like you're not desperate for the guy because you are. Not just because you're super excited about the potential, but you go from, dude, maybe we actually have a shot at a Super Bowl. Maybe angry Rodgers becomes MVP Rodgers. We have the MVP of the league on our team. Can you freaking even imagine that? To, wow, we're the worst team in football. Cool. I guess we get to pick such and such, which actually, if I'm a Jets fan, that's kind of appealing. Dude, you get number one pick of the quarterbacks next year? Maybe this shouldn't work. (laughs) <laughs> i don't know i think you should tank but you're dumb and this will be your one chance to actually get the quarterback of the future and you're going to ruin it by getting aaron Rodgers. not you personally jets fans i love you guys i'm just saying the the, the universe hates you I, it's it's all i can it's all i can come up with and then finally i wanted to play this little piece here from aaron jones this is another uh, uh bus tour interview that um everybody's pretty excited about and just Kind of, again, tells us what we already know, and that is that Aaron Jones is a class act and a great dude. Because uh, I, I wanted to be here. Uh, this is this is home for me. Uh, you know, those guys in the locker room, those are my brothers. The, the people upstairs, they believe in me. Um, they believe in me since I've gotten here. So uh, that's been huge for me. This is, like I said, this is home, the best fans. And uh, it, it just made sense on, on deal-wise, you know, the, the market uh, for the running backs was it was a huge gap between 16 million and Christian McCaffrey was at 12. Uh, so I wouldn't say I wouldn't say pay cut because I never made 11 million in my career. So uh, this is still the most I've ever made, uh, and it still it still has me at the second highest paid for the back. So it matched up with the market, and you know I uh, didn't want to be greedy, and you know I'm a team player. I want to help the team and uh, help them get as many guys in here as we can. So if that means free up a little money, I will. You're always putting other people first, but did you buy anything with that uh, that new money from the contract and treat yourself a little bit? Uh, no, sir, not yet. So uh, I'm still waiting on the hit. I think it'll hit uh, on the 15th. So <laughs> that, that's a good thing. Uh, but no, I don't think I'm gonna buy anything. I'm just gonna may, maybe something for my mom. Uh, but that, that's about it. Thank you. Thank Aaron. you, Aaron. Thank Appreciate you. Thank you. you. Have a great. Anyways, so yeah, freaking great dude. I mean, j- just the fact that that's his mentality, you know. Um, he took a pay cut and then he said, I wouldn't really call it a pay cut um, because I'm making more than I've ever made in my life. I'm still one of the highest paid running backs in the NFL. And, um, you know, obviously I want to do whatever I can to help my teammates. Like, okay, that's still a pay cut, dude. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, I, I, I guess in a strict sense, it's not a pay cut. If you, if you are making now more money, you got a pay raise. But you were due, and and all you had to do was tell the Packers. Now, now, granted, again, it's possible he would have gotten cut. Um, And then he could have got paid somewhere else, but he didn't want to do that. But, I mean, again, it's just the mentality. A lot of people, and I wouldn't be against, I I, I genuinely don't have an issue with a player saying, um, I just want the money, right? I I don't. I mean, listen, you, you, you do this, it's your career. Right, I mean, you can talk about how you owe it to the fans, but you know the fans are going to spit on you the moment that you go somewhere else or anything else, so you should focus on you and your health and your career and, and all that stuff, whatever you think is best for you. But Aaron Jones has decided that what's best for him is to continue to just be a great human being and realizing that, you know, what am I giving up for that extra million or $2 million? My team, my fans, the front office that believes in me, the, the locker room, and he said, I don't, I don't want to be greedy, which I don't even think it's greedy to just accept the money that you were, that you were promised, you know, I mean, and, and really there, there is, there's, there's the other ethical side of it too, which is we entered into a contract together. You know, you didn't have to give me this contract. You said you, you wanted to give me this because you think it's what I'm worth. And I said, I agree. That sounds great. And I signed it and you signed it. And here we are. It's not greedy. I'm just, this is, this is the contract we agreed to. And now the, you know, the Packers, you guys are going back on it. And I mean, they weren't really going back on it. They just basically told them we're, we're going to, to cut you or whatever. But you could look at it that way. But um, 
But anyways, that's why I think Aaron Jones is such a good guy, because I don't think you're entitled to... I don't think it's mandatory. I don't just view this as, well, of course, that's what you're supposed to do. No, it's not. He would have earned every dollar of whatever it is he would have got wherever he would have gotten it. But he genuinely cares, and again, he really wants as many quality guys in here as, as we can get. And the Packers approached him and said, hey, you know, we can we can keep this guy and do this and do that if you'll if you'll do this. And he said, yeah. And, and man, what a what a cool thing for him. He said it's going to hit on the 15th. I don't know if that's like the total, uh, I'm, I'm guessing that's his signing bonus, but in four days or three days or whatever, he's got millions of dollars more going into his bank account. And what is he doing? He's on a bus hanging out with kids and people with special needs and just visiting communities and veterans and whatever else they've got going on and plan for their tour just very cool i appreciate aaron jones anyways guys i'm gonna leave it at that you guys have a good rest of your day uh hopefully this deal gets done very soon have a good one bye-bye